is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, joined by my at Chelsea Youth expert Phil. That's right, we have a youth update uh, in the month of February. Uh, a lot is finished up, Phil, so we're going to be running through that. Um, but obviously, timely news: Roman announcing he's going to sell the club. Obviously. The Academy is a big part, I think, of that. We have talked about it, but we're going to kind of hold off a little bit uh, to do something more in depth a little bit later, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I mean, it's it's been quite a week for Chelsea fans, and I don't need to tell any of you guys that, that a lot of information to take in, a lot to process, and a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty. And that's for every department across the club, and it's it's pointless to speculate about what may or may not happen because today's news is... Is it only lasts as long as the next news cycle? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, I, I've, I've commented on social media that you'd like to see as much of the club's senior management structure retained as possible for a smooth transition. Uh, but anyone could come in, anyone could change anything at any time. And like most Chelsea fans, I don't really know quite how to process how this has gone. It's been a very jarring week. Uh, and Chelsea fans have suddenly had to become experts in football, in geopolitics, in international relations, in charity law, billionaires and consortiums, and expected to come up with instant reactions to the biggest and most seismic event at the club in a generation. It's it's not something that any of them would expect, and it's to the credit of you guys and to the guests you've had on Joe and Matt Law and uh, when you did your spaces with Mike Ryan and Zara and Ollie Glanville. Some, some brilliant content. I'd encourage everybody out there to go back and listen to those podcasts and th- those Twitter spaces because it helps you to to digest and understand a little bit more of what's going on. It's been very tumultuous and we're not nearly through this. Yeah, it's, you know, changing a manager or maybe someone in the scouting department, you know, or, you know, someone in the academy has big changes. The owner is everything. Everything is up for grabs, so Absolutely. it's it's impossible to uh, kind of like make it consumable. So as we've said across all of our other shows, uh, first and foremost, thoughts are with the people of Ukraine and the atrocities that are happening there. Um, we are still covering football for entertainment purposes uh, to you know hopefully just balance out what you're consuming on a day to day basis. So uh, we'll continue to kind of aggregate and collect data and continue to come out with more uh, con- as concrete info comes out, but. Let us go ahead and focus. Like I said, this is an Academy review for the month of February. A lot has happened, Phil, as you might be aware of. Um, I guess we can kind of kick it off with the FA Youth Cup, uh, which is the only uh, domestic tournament the the men's senior team is in and one of the few trophies that the Academy have to play for. So how is that going? They are into an 11th semi-final in 13 years, which is an unrivaled record. Uh, They beat Blackpool 3-2 at Stamford Bridge uh, last week. It was a pretty tough game. Blackpool, uh, for those who don't know, they play in the championship at first team level, but their academy are in the third tier of academy structure. So Chelsea are in the category one level. There's a category two, which is mostly full of sort of uh, championship football league clubs. And then category three is the rest of the country. And Blackpool have done extremely well to reach the stage of the competition. They've beaten Newcastle, who are a fellow category one team to Chelsea in the previous round. Um, Chelsea were heavy favourites coming into it, but Blackpool had taken an early lead. Uh, Chelsea fought back with an absolute blinding goal by Harvey Vell, very reminiscent of Hakim Ziyech's goal. Uh, you might see in our social media, somebody put them side by side, um, almost identical. It's up for Chelsea's goal of the month. Go and vote for it. I did. Um, 
Then they got um, a goal just before halftime. Malik Mothersill, who we'll talk about a little bit later, he continued his run of scoring in every round of the competition, which is something very few people have done from start to finish. So he's now two games away from being from doing that. Blackpool equalised again, but uh, Charlie Webster scored a, a second half penalty to to get through. So again, we're at the business end of a competition, and they're now awaiting Nottingham Forest in the semi final. Uh, Forest are a, a recent Category One team. They only got the a promotion last summer but they are a formidable youth outfit in their own right they've won three successive away ties to get to this point including uh, a, what most people would accept is an upset win against Blackburn Rovers uh, last night as we record this um, so they, they're away to Forest in the semis and the other semi-finals Manchester United against Wolves two category one teams uh, and the bigger thing to take away from this is that the competition is now one-legged ties at semi-final and final stage uh, when Chelsea won five in a row and all the success in the last decade, semi-finals and final were home and away, two leg ties. That was changed ahead of the eighteen nineteen season for reasons that were never made public by the FA. It was never made clear and it flew in the face of 60 years of competition history. A cynic like myself might suggest that it was done because Chelsea were having relentless success and when you have a powerhouse team like Chelsea, giving them two bites a semi-final and a final win is extremely challenging for any opponent. There were a couple of games along the way where Chelsea lost the first leg. They lost one to Tottenham in a semi-final. They lost the first leg to Fulham in the 2014 final. But you get a second leg at Stamford Bridge and it's it, it, it plays in favour of the bigger teams. So you can see maybe what they were trying to do. Chelsea haven't made uh, the final in three of the four editions since. The one year that they did, uh, the tournament was finished six months after the start of the pandemic it was up at St George's Park on neutral ground so it was a little bit out of sync anyway this represents Chelsea's best chance to win the Youth Cup since their last win in 2018 even though the remainder of their fixtures in the competition are away from home got it um lot to lot to review there it's funny that you say that you know Chelsea were too good so we had to change the rules love to hear that um, also going way back, I love to hear the Mother Sill, Charlie Webster, Harvey Vale, uh, some recurrent themes, right, with these teams and players. So really, really good to hear, um, you know, that they're being pretty consistent throughout the season. Um, it, you never never really know what you're going to get, obviously, out of, uh, you know, the young players, but it seems like those are some players that have been able to uh, rely yeah. upon. They have Mother Seal's the top scorer. He's got 16 goals in all competitions, and that includes the under 18 Premier League, the under 18 Premier League Cup, which they're also in the semi finals of. That's just between the 20, 28 Category 1 clubs. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the League Cup um, at the senior level as well, except it's a much smaller pool of teams. They are a way to stoke in the semi finals of that, as they were two years ago when they lost at the semi finals at the same venue around the same time of year. So I'm hoping that doesn't repeat in a week and a half's time when they play that match. Um, he's been he's been not just scoring goals, Mother Sill, but he's been bringing bigger and bolder performances to the table. He's mostly been playing as a nine, but he has had the opportunity to play wide as well. He carries the ball with more authority through the transition from midfield into attack. He plays with more aggression and a, a mentality of belonging. And I might remind people that he wasn't in the youth team last season, despite being a Chelsea player. He spent the second half of last season on loan at Derby County. Uh, youth, youth loans aren't between two academy teams aren't really a thing they don't happen that often there wasn't really scope for him to get the playing time he wanted with the academy last season so he went to Derby and really developed his game there 
And he came back as a second-year scholar this year and scored some goals in pre-season. And like we, we spoke about with Ahmed Abroja uh, over the last couple of years, if you just have that momentum start to gather at the right time in pre-season and then you carry it into the campaign, the sky's the limit. Now, I'm not going to say that Mothersill's going to follow Broger's projection, but it's been really encouraging to see the way he's been able to assert himself as the team's focal point, the presence, scoring important goals, scoring timely goals. He scored last-minute equalisers, last-minute winners. And this time last year, we were talking about Jutsun Sartbel as the next superstar striker coming out of the academy. He was prolific last season, scoring all over the place. Now, he's had a little bit of a struggle of it this season. He's gone up to the development squad ahead of schedule by age, but having done what he did at under-18 level, it was the right time to move him up. By no means are we writing him off and anointing Mother Sill as the superstar in his place. Jude is on a, a fine development curve, and just because the numbers aren't there doesn't mean that the performance and the potential of the talent isn't. What we're seeing with Mother Sill is he's doing it his way on his schedule, and Chelsea now have another exciting young centre forward coming through the system. And just to clarify, this is the dev squad in the FA Youth Cup? It's the under-18s. A under lot of the 18s. development squad play up at the higher level because uh, it's more challenging for them. So Lewis Hall, Harvey Vale, Jude Stunzak-Bell, Charlie Webster, um, Alfie Gilchrist, they're all development squad regulars. Dylan Williams, who's just signed from Derby in January. They, they all tend to play at that level. Um, but the under-18 is the best-on-best competition and they, that's when they tend to drop down. Harvey's only played at Watford and against Blackpool in the Youth Cup. Uh, he didn't play against Leighton Orient in the third round. And he didn't play against Liverpool. I think he played against Liverpool. I can't remember off my head anyway. Um, but Alfie Gilchrist has been captaining the team. And he was unavailable against Blackpool. So Harvey took the captain's armband and turned in the captain's performance. There, there were good performances all over the place that night in what was a challenging game. I'd be remit, remiss not to mention uh, Derek Abu, who was playing at right back. He claimed three assists. My own standard for assists wouldn't give him them, but he had a hand in all three goals and is another right back coming off the production line at Chelsea. Are, are you are you are you claiming those assists might have been like Timo's against Luton Town, where his second touch was too big and it fell right to Saul? <laughs> well, I'm not particularly big on giving somebody an assist for playing a ten yard pass to Harvey Vale, who then scores a blinder from 25 yards out. <laughs> I don't consider that an assist, but he had to make up 30 yards to catch the ball down on the right flank in the first place. So it was a very keen involvement. He won a penalty in the second half, and he was the provider of the cross for Mother Sills goal in between. So. Whether you credit him with an assist or not, he has found a consistency in his game this season after, uh, again, like Mothersilt, not playing as much as he might have expected to last season. Players are on different development curves. Some, like Lewis Hall, who's a first-year scholar, go all the way through very, very quickly. And others need a little bit more time and development and patience. It's the, the real charm of youth football is that you can have somebody break into Premier League football at 17 and you can have others who come along a, bit, a little bit later uh, find their groove and then they're 20, 21, 22 and they're every bit as good when they reach the senior game as as the ones who did it five years earlier. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you hear Harvey Vale, he's playing across three different teams this season, you know, and like thinking of like all the, the different um, kind of environments they're in and the chopping and changing of scenarios and how they're able to continue to play well across all these things, just, you know, more, more cards than which is why, you know, I, I, as I'm learning and growing, hopefully alongside the listeners, it's like, okay, wait, 
which team is Harvey playing for this time? And where's Webster? Oh, okay, gotcha. So essentially FA Youth Cup is a U18 competition, but like you said, it's best on best. So you definitely bring players who during the season are playing up because they can be pushed at that level. You kind of bring them back because it's that gold chip or blue chip cup, I guess, in, in terms Absolutely. of Absolutely, everybody wants to win it. It's got, got the it. prestige, it's got the history. And yep. you're talking about Harvey playing across the different age groups and different teams. It's... It's challenging, perhaps more challenging in a way, to be training with different groups throughout the week. So Harvey's training with the first team, and if he's got a development squad game or if he's got an under-18 game, he'll likely join them the day before the game for training. But sometimes it's not possible because the first team needs you, so you might go into one of those games without having trained with the group at all. Exactly. It's not entirely alien for him because obviously he would have trained with his age group contemporaries numerous times over the years. He understands the structure of the team and the, the way the academy play. But it's still jarring for you to go from one environment to another, from one side of the road at Cobham to another, to have an unpredictable working week. And there's no need for sympathy here because you're working at elite levels of the game with fantastic opportunities. But it is important to understand that players moving between age groups, especially at young ages, can find it sometimes hard to find that consistency of form if you haven't had a consistent week of training. We know the talent there is undeniable, but if you see a player who trains with the first team all the time, come back down to the development squad. You like The coach is always here. We want to see how they how they adapt to it, how they react to coming back down. Lewis Hall had a man-of-the-match performance against Chesterfield and then was playing under-18 and under-23 football for the rest of the month. And it's it's an old cliche to say, well, let's see, has, has fame and success gone to his head? It's not so much that now, but it's just about working out how you adapt to moving around so often and so frequently and still being able to center yourself and find your baseline level of performance um, at the very minimum. Yeah, no, absolutely. Different manager styles, you know, different tactics, different setups, everything like that. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. Well, but before we continue into the rest of the 18s and, and their kind of league form, uh, we're going to take a break. So obviously thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting. So when we get back, we're talking 18s. Dev squad struggles. The R word is still in play. And then a fun little thing about uh, John Terry and his family connecting to the Academy even further. So again, thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, I tries to tease that one really, really hard, Phil, about uh, yeah, the John fine. Terry thing. So I look, I hope it plays out. I hope people stick around because it's uh, it's it's really good. And it's not even related to NFTs. But before I get blocked, <laughs> uh, the 18s remained in title contention, but only played two league matches in February, lost to Fulham, beat Aston Villa. Um, so as we kind of look at the club table, uh, the table for the what are we calling it? The, the U18 Premier League. They're in fifth on 32 points. Southampton at the top of the table on 37 points. Um, yeah, quick update on league form. Only two matches in the entire month. Yeah, one at the start, one at the end. Uh, they had a game in between um, postponed because of a significant storm in the UK, particularly across the southern parts of the UK. We talked about that, didn't we? We did, yeah. It was the uh, day that pretty... we all watched YouTube live streaming uh, planes trying to land at Heathrow. Yeah, which was uh, <laughs> relatively terrifying in itself. I'm not very far from Heathrow at all, and it was it was very windy here and considerably so there. We don't tend to get tremendously inclement weather in the UK. It's occasionally extremely cold and extremely wet, but we don't get heavy snow regular. We don't get 70, 80, 90 mile per hour winds as we did with this storm. So the development squad was due to play on that night. The game was called off because uh, out of safety concerns for fans traveling to the game. And then several under-18 games were called off over that weekend for the same reason. Uh, fan, not fans, um, players and 
officials and family members traveling it just made sense to, to postpone the game anyway i digress they lost to fulham at the start of the month um fairly disappointingly fulham haven't had the greatest of seasons but they are still a really strong outfit from from top to bottom and it was a day that chelsea just didn't really turn up finished the month with a win against a young and fairly inexperienced aston villa team and they're in a very very interesting title race because for for most of the last decade there's been a runaway winner in the South League. It's mostly been Chelsea. For the last two seasons, it's been Fulham. This season, there are five teams involved for it right now. We've got Southampton, as you said, they're top of the league. You've got Leicester, you've got West Ham, you've got Crystal Palace, and you've got Chelsea. Arsenal might like to claim that they're still in it, but they've played more games than everybody else and they're a little bit too far back, I think, to, for it all to shake out in their favour. Where Chelsea have an advantage, as far as I see it, is that they still have three of those four teams to come to Cobham which is generally, I wouldn't say it's a fortress, it, they went a thousand days without losing a game there at the peak of their powers, and it's not been quite that ever since, but it's still uh, a challenging place for any opposition to come. They haven't played Southampton at all yet. There was a game before Christmas that they were meant to host. That got called off because of uh, the Omicron variant spreading around everywhere. Um so that game's being played in mid-April and then they're due to finish away to Southampton on the final day of the season. Whether that actually ends up being the final day depends on a bunch of uh, rescheduling. But it could be a title decider in theory because everyone's going to take points off of everyone between now and the end of the season. And with five teams involved, I don't think anyone's going to have the capacity to stretch away. Um, but everyone's doing their best. The so Chelsea scored uh, two in the first five minutes against Villa last week and you're, you're sat there immediately thinking, OK, this is an opportunity to, to catch up on goal difference. This is a t uh, you, You're 2-0 up after five, you, you're thinking 3-4-5. So it finished 3-1. At the same time, West Ham are beating West Brom 6-0 with five in the first half and extending their goal difference advantage. Everyone's throwing big haymakers in this title fight and it's not over by a long shot. Um, hmm. Well... We love a fight, right? Chelsea will always love to be in the and mix. Exactly. And in the middle of that run, um, one of the reasons that they only had two league matches was the quarterfinal of the Under-18 Premier League Cup against Manchester United, um, who may end up being a Youth Cup final opponent. That game was at Cobham. It was 2-0 to United at halftime. It was another one of the academy comebacks. They scored three in the second half. It was a game heavily influenced by wind, not the storm wind from the weekend beforehand, but it was still pretty blustery at Cobham. Um, Chelsea were playing into the wind in the first half and found it particularly hard to play out. One of the goals was conceded because Prince Adagoke's clearance just got held up in the wind, didn't make it to its intended target. United launched a counter-attack. Chelsea had it with them in the second half. The momentum carried and used the conditions to your favour. By no means were either Chelsea or United at their full youth cup strength on that occasion, so I wouldn't necessarily say that winning that one would give them an advantage in a potential FA youth cup decider were it to be one particularly because that final will be at Old Trafford in front of a fairly decent crowd. But they've shown they're competitive against the best that the North has to offer. Um, that, that win obviously lined up this uh, semi-final tie against Stoke I spoke about. Um, so theoretically, the under-18s could be on for a domestic treble here. They're involved in the FA Youth Cup's business end. They're involved in the under-18 League Cup business end, and they are in a title fight in the league. Again, since... 2018, they haven't actually put any more Academy Silverware into the trophy cabinet at this age group. I've spoken numerous times this season. It's about time they did again. Fighting on three fronts, you'd like to think they get at least one of them. Uh, it's all to play for. Yeah, you hit the semifinal, you know, you start to think ahead. You know, you're just one match away from 
obviously not Wembley, but uh, the final, which is a big deal for them. You know, so that seems really tangible. Um, you know, obviously putzing through, you know, the working their way through the care about or, oh man, league cup. Thankfully it's hopefully is it sponsored by care about down at that level? Hopefully there not. are no sponsors of any of the youth age competitions Ooh. apart from the, uh, the EFL one where they play with league one and league two teams, which is the Papa John's trophy. The, oh, well, yeah. I mean, look, the, you know, fan favorite right there, especially of us Americans, since, you know, we can be blamed for that naming rights. Um, but yeah. I can certainly you, blame Americans for Papa John himself. <laughs> One of three opportunities still on the docket uh, in the hunt. So like you said, you'd always bet on Chelsea to pull at least one, but, you know, they're going to be pushing for all three, which is great. Um on the dev squad, on the other hand, though, Phil, not quite the same storyline. We we had talked about this in the recent history, the relegation, the R word. Uh, unfortunately, the the tides have not turned for this group, have they? They have not. No, no matter how much I have willed it to, uh, they still find themselves in trouble. They started the year brilliantly. On the 8th of January, they beat Leicester 5-0 at Cobham, and you're thinking... The, that might be the tide starting to turn. They, they, Andy Myers has spoken repeatedly before Christmas, the Christmas break about the need to start scoring more goals and take the chances. Uh, and they certainly did that day, but in the game since, they haven't. And uh, they were away to Arsenal and uh, Lewis Hall missed an open goal at 1-1. They were away to Crystal Palace. Uh, they lost to a heavy, heavy deflection late in the game, 3-2. Uh, things haven't gone their way uh, I'm not. I'm not from one moment saying that they deserve uh, to be mid-table or above. They haven't played well consistently, and when you find yourself second from bottom in a relegation zone, the table doesn't lie. But for the most part, in the PL2, they have lacked some luck. They have lacked a, a bit of a cutting edge. But we're now at a point in the season where you can't bemoan that. You have to start picking up points. Unfortunately, the last two matches that they've had scheduled have been postponed. The Tottenham one because of Storm Eunice. And they were meant to play Everton this past Monday night. And that got called off due to a waterlogged pitch up, up in Southport. So uh, they've been lacking game time. They had a friendly this afternoon, actually, against QPR at Cobham. They won that 2-0. Just important to get some minutes into legs and to keep them from... From, from from not having that rhythm of preparing for a match and recovering from a match because they go again next week against West Ham and every game is vital now. They've still got some really important ones. They've got Leeds coming up at Stamford Bridge. Uh, it should be at Stamford Bridge, uh, depending on other scheduling. The first team have been drawn away to Middlesbrough now in the FA Cup, so that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, Leeds are one of the teams that they're trying to chase down. So it's imperative that they win that game. Uh, they still have to go to Blackburn late in the season. That's the other team that they're chasing down right now. And if it comes to it, it, it could be a relegation decider. They're, they don't have the easiest run between now and the end of the season. Five of the remaining games are away from home. And based on the record that they've put up so far, it's that's why I'm looking at the games that are against the team that directly that are chasing. Brighton might also get pulled into it and they finish the season away to Brighton and away to Blackburn as the schedule stands. And those could be two huge, huge matches for a team that is not accustomed to fighting relegation in PL2 and you don't want to end up in the second tier of PL2. No disrespect to the teams that are down there, but Chelsea have the ambition of playing at the top levels throughout the club. And it hasn't worked out so far for them this season for a multitude of reasons. They had significant losses from the development squad last summer in circumstances that they would not have ordinarily expected to lose them in. Players move on every single summer to go on loan to go elsewhere. But if you lose uh, a Lewis Bate, a Tino Livramento, a Miles Pat Harris, a Charlie Wiggett, a Dinell Simu, all at the same time, 
on a permanent deal rather than going on loan or naturally progressing, it's jarring. It rips the heart out of the team. And then you replace them with talented players, but younger talented players. Um, the likes of Lewis Hall, who deservedly moved up as a 16-year-old. But it's it's a 16-year-old playing in an ostensibly under-23 league, and sometimes you are giving up two, three, four years' worth of experience. And over the course of a long and grinding campaign, that can start to become a challenge, especially if results go against you. So the good news, Chelsea, they've only played 18 matches. You talk about the cancellations, well, I guess postponements, really. You know, everyone else around them has played 19, 20 matches. We're on 17 points. Blackburn ahead of us on 19 points. Leeds ahead of us on 20 points. You win one of those two matches in hand, like you're right back in the in the mix for being safe. How many teams go down? Two go down um, and then two come up. One comes up automatically and then second, third, fourth and fifth play off. Uh, Fulham have already been promoted. It's ridiculous. It's February and they've, just, they've booked their promotion from the second tier. Um They've just run away with that league. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, I've been trying to think through this because the scheduling has worked as it has. Chelsea now have games in hand and it can play into your favour sometimes because now you know a win here takes you to this point. You, at the same time, you know you need to win anyway. Do you feel an added weight of pressure because you are now chasing rather than just fighting at the same time? You kick off simultaneously. And well, I don't think it really matters at the end of the day. You know, you know, you need to go out there and win. Um, and I'm sure that's being stressed by Andy Myers and the coaching group, as it has been all season. It's been a very frustrating campaign. And of course, they're out of the UEFA Youth League now um, in a particularly disappointing defeat away to Genk at the start of February. Yeah, I want to I want to come to that in a second here. But as you look at it, I think to your point about the, you know, we always go back and forth. Would you rather have uh, points in hand or games in hand? And I think it depends on where you sit on the position board, right? Yeah. Arsenal were in the devs and the in the U eighteen league, right? They were behind everybody, but they had played all their matches. That's not a good situation to be in. If you're Absolutely. like at the top of the table and you've got your points in hand, that's good. Let people chase you. I think since Chelsea are doing the chasing in this point, having the games in hand, it makes me feel better because, again, they know they've got more chances to get points than the teams above them. They they have now lost the opportunity. And, again, it just takes one. One win, and they are out of the relegation zone, potentially two spots safe. So uh, it's a I – th I think, you know, we're in a good situation, situation in that sense. But, again, Derby County are in 14th. They gone. Chelsea are in 13th. Blackburner in 12th, Leeds are 11th, Brighton are 10th. To your point, the fact that we're playing all these teams the last two matches of the season essentially is going to make it really tricky and really interesting to see how, how it all shakes out. But um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting as well. Sorry to just jump in. You're uh, good. Uh, Leeds have been known uh, over the last few seasons to sprinkle their development squad with uh, first-teamers who need minutes. It was very much a Marcello Bielsa tactic. So you might, I'm not talking the, the very top level players like Rafinha or Calvin Phillips. I'm talking um, Tyler Roberts, who's an uh, experienced Wales international, would come down. Um, Gatana Baradi has come down. Uh, some of them from injury backgrounds and so on and so forth. Like Patrick Bamford's been injured. There's every chance he'll be doing it. Um, Bielsa's gone, but I think it might still be a policy that they, they look to do because they're. Uh, under 23 manager Mark Jackson has just gone up to the first team with Jesse Marsh um, and it's, it's it's a way that's worked for them they will sometimes make a triple substitution after half an hour to get 60 minutes into players that need it 
but 60 minutes not from the start of a game, which is a different dynamic to 60 minutes elsewhere. They might do changes at 25 and then at 65, so on. They, they, they behave in a way that's not that's atypical to everybody else. And so that game's at Stamford Bridge. It's a big advantage for Chelsea to have the game there, but there's every chance you could see a Bamford or whoever play for Leeds in that game. Mm-hmm. Blackburn have been doing it with Bradley Dack, who's an EFL veteran, very experienced, and they picked up a bunch of results with him in the team, not directly because of him, but it definitely benefits them to have that experience. Plus... Blackburn have a relatively young first-team squad where some of these players will still mix in and out with the 23s depending on how much playing time they've had at the senior level. I don't foresee a situation where Chelsea will suddenly start playing uh, fringe first-teamers in the development squad. Um, for example, if they'd have had a fixture in the last two weeks, it would have been nice to get minutes into Reese James before throwing him into the League Cup final for 70 minutes. They have done that in the past with particular long-term injuries. Um, listeners might remember Ed Hazard playing for the development squad down at Aldershot. It's, it's rare, but it does happen. You're fighting against Blackburn and Leeds, who may do it more often than not. I'm not saying that's going to influence Chelsea, but it could happen. Uh, a little bit of a... Uh, strategic moving of the chess pieces between teams is... is and I, I don't say. necessarily agree with it from a development perspective or even just from a sporting point of view to start saying, right, we're struggling against relegation here. Let's call in the big big guns. Let's let's get them playing because you want these players to learn through success and through failure. But we'll see how even of a playing field it is when we come to play against Leeds and Blackburn and even Brighton because Brighton have got all the players in the world. They've got everybody. They're doing what Chelsea did under Emanalo on just as large a scale, but people aren't talking about it because it's not new. It's not exciting. It's not something that it has been done before. Um, it's interesting that they're doing it at a time where FIFA are about to narrow the scope of how you can approach loans. But for example, uh, they've got Moises Casado, who is an international for Ecuador off my head, but I apologize if I'm wrong on that, who spent the first half of the season on loan in Belgium. Um, he's been recalled because the club he's playing for in Belgium have been relegated and there's basically no games for him to play for the rest of the season. He may play first team, but he's been playing with the development squad um, and they've got so much talent around that, again, he'll be in that squad. It's a challenge to play against him. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, just to wrap on this one with the uh, dev squad, uh, to stick the knife in and twist a little bit, Man City are at the top of the table with 43 points, West Ham in second on 35, Arsenal third on 33. Again, Chelsea in 13th out of 14 uh, with 17 points. So not not at all we don't want. Um, and then, like you said earlier, a little bit of salt in the wounds, eliminated from the UEFA U19 Youth League. And uh, as you put it so kindly, Phil, a 5-1 humbling away at Genk. Yeah, and I think humbling's being polite because I while, while, I, while I will claim <laughs> that they've had a disproportionate lack of luck and that the results in PL2 haven't always reflected the quality of their performances, this was a bad one in game. They did not play well. They did not play in a way that you would recognise a Chelsea team at any level. Uh, the spacing between the line players and the different lines on the pitch was way too wide open. Um they never looked in control of the match. They never really looked like winning. Um, the 5-1 is a consequence of trying to chase the game late. You're 3-1 down. It doesn't really matter whether you lose 3-4, 5-1 at that point. You need to go for it. Um, Genk are a good team. They took Liverpool to penalties in the next round of the competition this week uh, and lost in, in a shootout. Um, Liverpool seemed to make a habit of winning penalty shootouts, unfortunately. Um, 
and Gen- they they are an experienced team. Some of them have first team uh, involvement already, but just in every way possible, this was a forgettable performance in Europe for Chelsea. Probably the worst they've had in the UEFA Youth League. Um, not that there's many bad performances to choose from over the years. They have a fairly impressive record in their uh, seven or eight year involvement with the competition. This was one that you will learn lessons from. I would not recommend that anybody goes and watches it back unless you have a particular inclination for self-suffering. It was chastening. It was bad. And yeah, we'll be back next year, hopefully with a much better performance in the competition overall. Yeah, I remember the, watching the Juventus one, and then you know this one kind of put that to shame, sadly. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean Juventus, Juventus are one of the contenders to win the competition, as far as I'm concerned. They're into the quarterfinals. They are a very good team. They've got quality young players. And that's not to say that Genk don't, but I don't think anyone was expecting Chelsea to go to Belgium and come back um, with such a heavy defeat. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we have some kind of extracurricular stories here. So, uh, a little bit of a change of pace. Uh, the first one is the Academy have been far more active in the transfer window than the men's team has been. Uh, uh, what, what's going on with them? They're, like I said, they're, they're making moves. They're wheeling and dealing. They are. Uh, we spoke with the last update, how on, um, transfer deadline day, they brought in Dylan Williams from Derby, the left back who's had some first team experience with them and has settled in well with both the development squad and the under 18s at Chelsea. They signed Mason Burstow from Charlton, who has continued um, at the Valley for the rest of the season on loan. Um, and then over the last few weeks, they, they've done a bit more. They uh, Frankie Terry, John's nephew, spent a week on trial at the club and played in that defeat to Fulham uh, that we mentioned earlier. He is a left-sided centre-half who plays for Colchester United. He's uh, not just John Terry's nephew, he is also uh, Paul Koncheski's nephew, uh, for those who remember the former well-travelled left England left-back, because uh, Paul's sister is Frankie's mum. So there's a, a fair connection over there. He's My done quite word. well. He's got a he's gene done, pool full of... D, he does uh, indeed. Paul, Paul <laughs> Terry's his dad. John Terry's his uncle. Paul Koncheski's his uncle. He's been at Colchester for a long time. He's impressed. He was part of the team that knocked Arsenal out of the Youth Cup earlier in the season. Um, he's been up with their 23s. I think he's been on the first team bench once or twice. Uh, and so Chelsea, whether it was through JT or otherwise, had him in for a trial and depending on who you read and where you read that trial may be uh, uh, precluding a, a full time, a full offer in the summer. Um, you can't really gauge much off one performance. He was all right in that game. I wouldn't say he was good. I wouldn't say he was bad. It was one of those where it's very hard to get into a rhythm with teammates that you don't train with regularly. And you've only been there for a week. He looked like he had all the fundamentals in place. He's got good size. He, like he's uncle. He can play off both sides. Um, if I was being super critical, I'd say he was maybe a half beat slower to things than uh, the Chelsea boys who are there day in, day out, week in, week out. But that's something that will come with time and the longer you spend in that environment. It sharpens you up. Iron sharpens iron and all of that. I think you can see why the club had him in for a trial. And if they feel that they've got an opening at centre-half in the development squad next season, then uh, they, they may well consider him as an option. Yeah, I, I, and um, yeah, go. On. I was—I mean, I think it's probably good to like the club aren't super sentimental when it comes to that stuff, right? Or, or do you feel like they're like, oh, well, you know, John brought him in; he's related. Like, if we've got a spot, might as well tiebreaker goes there. I mean, I feel like the academy are pretty known for being, you know, cutthroat and like taking taking whatever approach is best. And I don't really feel like John would be 
Um, trying to put the club in a position of like, hey, do no, I don't here. think so either. I yeah. think that it might have had a, a little, a, a tiny effect at best. But Maybe Chelsea cost such exactly Chelsea cost such a wide net. They'll yeah. have known about him for a while. I, I put something on my social media a couple of years ago when, when he got a scholarship at Colchester. I, I didn't name him by name at the point. I just said, uh, just saying that there's a left-sided centre half at Colchester who has the surname Terry and is fairly reminiscent of somebody you might know. Sneaky. So if he's on my radar, I guarantee you he's been on Chelsea's radar for a long, <laughs> long time. And they offer trials like nobody's business. They cast such a wide net. And they, at a time where the English transfer market at youth level is as competitive as it has ever been, even if you are uncertain about them, just, just get them in on a trial because you get mm-hmm. that closer look at them. You see who they are as a person. You can see, you get the eye test. You see them in person rather than just seeing them at a distance on the pitch. You get to, you get a better feel for them. If it doesn't work out, it's, it's a week's trial. Um, and there's, there's fringe benefits for everybody involved, but there's, there's such a com- competitive market because the, the Brexit rules stop teams from shopping abroad. Um, to which Chelsea pounced this week to bring in uh, Leo Cardoso from West Brom, who is a club under 15. He's late 2006 born, for those of you who want to feel quite old. Um, one of the premier talents of his generation in England and beyond, because he's also represented Portugal at under 16 level against England earlier in February. Uh, it's the second time that Chelsea have taken a player from West Brom in the last 12 months. They signed Keanu Dyer, who is a terrier-like central midfielder. Um, last time they were in the same age group, Cardoso and Dyer. Uh, Leo's a classic number 10, playmaker, can play wide, play central, travels with the ball beautifully, great technique, eye for goal, all of the, th- the hallmarks of the modern academy player. And believe me, will have been wanted not just by the best teams in England, but also across Europe as, as he's involved in Portugal, will tell you. Um, and it's a dogfight. Chelsea have gone out there and strengthened their under-15 age group in particular uh, over the last season or so. Um, not to say that it was inherently weak, but for example, they didn't qualify from the Floodlit Cup group stages, which is a competition that um, at that age group is probably the the biggest for each club. Um, they didn't get out of the groups in that one for a change. Uh, they've let several players go and they've tried uh, as much as they can to bring in the best available talent from other clubs and I think they'll continue to do that they've got an under 16 pool that is very strong not just in terms of talent but it, next summer's intake is projecting to be as large in number as there has been in a long time uh, and it speaks volumes to me that they're already looking at the intakes for 2023 2024 and bringing talent in now because you can't afford to wait now in the English game otherwise a Man City will pounce or a Man United will pounce everybody's got resources everybody is costing the net as wide as Chelsea have done it so it's not just about having the advantage of feet on the ground and networking and identifying this talent you have to make your case pathway or otherwise and then make that decision. Whereas if you were making it at 16, two, three years ago, you've got to make it at 14 or 15 now and say, right, we want them in. Um, they've done it for Cardoso. They did it for Dyer last summer. They've done it for one or two other players who we won't name because they're still young. Um, the only reason we're talking about these boys now is that they've made uh, fairly big headlines across reputable platforms that people would have seen. Um, and it, it's that evolution of the academy that we're talking about. It's okay, how do we go from providing the first team with all of these Champions League winners how do we reset and go again and not rest on our laurels? How do we make sure we get back to the successes that we had between 2013, 2018, five youth cups, all the titles, but none since? 
how do we put Chelsea back at the top of the academy pyramid? And it's it's moves like this. It's signing one of the best 15-year-olds in the country. It's going down to Colchester and bringing in a kid on trial. It's offering trials to A, B, C, D and E um, and trying to get the best players, the best coaches, the best organisation and structure that you can at a time where everybody else is doing the same. Which makes it even more important we don't skip a beat in any kind of transition uh, at the ownership level. So Absolutely. Uh, it's It's one of those things that... Matt Law said anybody coming in um, who knows and is informed of the strength of the academy and the women's team would be stupid to upset that uh, structure. Unfortunately, there are a great many stupid people in this world um, and there are a great many stupid billionaires. But it's not just about the billionaire or whoever it is who comes in as owner. Uh, And I'm not prejudging anything by this, but if you have somebody come in who wants to make a change at the top with a director of football or a chairman or whoever who then wants to bring their own people in. That's when the trickle-down effect happens. It's not that you're going to come in and say, right, we're going to run the academy our way. It's about who you put into position at the top of the club, who they're friends with, how they see the women's game, how they see academy development, how it should work. And Chelsea have got all the credentials in the world to fight their corner in both of those departments, but these are the unknowns we were talking about at the start until everything shakes out. It's a priority in my mind. As much as people may not, may or may not like or rate the work that Bruce Barker and Marina Granovskaya and the management team of Chelsea have done, there is an, a tremendous value in retaining them for the short to medium term for every department of the club. And I think that can't be said loudly enough right now. For those in the back, as the kids say. Um, hey, Phil, I've got one. Uh, you know, you usually write the script, which makes sense to you, the expert. But, uh, you know, I've got this old Twitter machine here, and I found something that I want to cover with you. So at uh, Barca underscore Buzz tweets, Barcelona plan to establish an academy for coaches, just like La Masia for players. Coaches will rise through the ranks, to which Naz, good old friend Naz from Goal.com, quote tweeted, said, Chelsea already did it, winky face. And then he linked his article uh, from August 2020. says, uh, Neil Bath and Sam Page tell Goal how the staff at Cobham managed to transform the Blues into a world leader at underage level. Um, care to comment on the fact that Barcelona are now falling into Chelsea's academy footsteps from a uh, coach development standpoint? It's always interesting to see who does what and who they're influenced by. Chelsea have been influenced by some of the best academies in the world, but not just that. Uh, when they were setting up parts of the show they, they studied elite institutions in all sorts of fields in music in dance and acting and bat and, and all sorts of things especially where they had young people boarding on a, on a full-time basis or educated uh, there rather than in a, in a school or whatever um imitation is a sincerest form of flattery if barcelona feel that they can learn from ways that chelsea have developed their coaches then that's obviously uh, a positive development for the work that Chelsea are doing. It doesn't mean that Chelsea are going to rest on those laurels either. Um, they are pioneering at the same time they will learn from everybody else. It's it's very interesting to look at the progression of Chelsea coaches over the years. You've got Brendan Rodgers as a top Premier League manager. You've got Steve Clark as a top international manager. You've got uh, Frank Lampard, who did some of his coaching um, licenses at the academy. You've got now Joe Edwards. You've got Paul Clement, who has who, Everton, but has won the Champions League. He's been with Paris Saint Germain, Real Madrid, some of the biggest clubs in the world. These people who have worked at Cobham and have come through have been just as successful as many of the players. 
and it remains an incredibly important part of the work that Neil Barth and Jim Fraser and the cast of hundreds at Cobham are doing to develop the coaches, the physios, the analysts, the administrators, everybody there is encouraged to be the best versions of themselves. And that will ultimately mean leaving Chelsea um, because there is a finite number of possibilities at the senior level at Chelsea. And as we've seen, a manager comes, a manager goes, and they bring in all of their own staff. But just like you can look at any fixture on a Saturday afternoon, Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, even National League, you look at a game, the odds of you finding an academy graduate in one of those is extremely high. And as I uh, was talking to you a couple of weeks ago, there was a round of Premier League fixtures where there was only one Premier League game that Saturday that did not have an academy graduate involved in the matchday squad. That game was Aston Villa. Um, forgive me, it may have been against Watford. I can't remember who they were playing. I think but so. in that game, Aston Villa's assistant manager is Michael Beale, who is a graduate of the Cobham coaching setup. And uh, I'll just leave it there. I love it. Uh, there's even a couple responses to this tweet replies that I think are hilarious that we should go through. Uh, someone says, didn't we even loan out a coach? Now says at least two. Like, of course, like honestly, Phil, for yeah. you to be a bit of a banter about ourselves, like, of course, we're even loaning out we coaches. Andy Myers, Andy Myers spent a year at, um, at Vitesse a little while ago and was widely credited for um, – shaking up and, and revising their coaching structure and coaching plans. And James Simmons, the um, under-18 coach, spent the first half of the season with Wimbledon and is now with Sondal in Norway as Tor Andre Flo's assistant manager, uh, which is an interesting um, switch for him because the Norwegian league is on an extended winter break uh, and don't really resume until, I believe, May. So he may be send, uh, spending a little bit longer in Norway. I don't know the ins and outs of the deal, but... Um, it's another one. Take them out of one environment, put them into a new one. You learn from the environments you're at, the different countries you're coaching in. Uh, James had a an eclectic younger playing career. He spent some time playing in Spain. He was with the Glen Hoddle Academy for a little while. So he's been around and he's still pretty young himself. He's only early 30s. Um, and, and this is the way that they do it at Chelsea. Another one says, Neil Bath, now there's a man I'd love to have as a director of football under the new ownership. It's, it's it's been suggested a lot of times, and um, I, while I understand it, there's a difference between running an academy operation and being an effective director of football in senior football, if only because of the networking that you have, the people that you know, and the ability to uh, manage up and manage down effectively. Now, I, I, I don't doubt that with time and with um, with a lot of trust that Neil would excel because he's proven to excel at everything he's done in his distinguished career, but. At the same time, I would prefer for him to run the academy for as long as he wants to because it's one of the biggest assets that Chelsea have now and will have in the future. All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, being a good sport as I kind of throw some at you there at the end. Uh, I think we can end with the last reply. It says, La Cabum with the blue heart because, well, Chelsea's academy. It's it's what we come to love. Uh, it's what we've uh, come to cherish, which is why we're so thrilled that, Phil, you sit down with us at least on a monthly basis uh, to give us kind of a breakdown of what's been going on there. Uh, obviously, a lot um, a, a lot goes on week in, week out. So hopefully we get some more frequent updates. But for now, uh, thank you. It's been a wild ride. Always a pleasure. We're about to come into the business end of the season. So uh, there'll be plenty more updates, hopefully, and plenty more success. That would be nice um, at a time where 
we're we're in a lot of uncertainty with the club. It would be a, a nice uh, balancing act to to have that familiarity of success with the academy again on the pitch. We know that they've been successful developing players, but let's bring some silverware back in. Absolutely, that is the the creed given to all coaches and and managers and players of the club. It's what we do, silverware. So, uh, like we said at the beginning of the episode, we'll do more of a of a detailed kind of breakdown as the managerial or I'm sorry, the ownership. Uh, is transferred to another group at this point. Uh, but for now, we're going to kind of sit and wait to see what all uh, transpires before we put that out there. So don't worry, a lot more to come around it all. So anyways, again, thanks to Phil. If you aren't, follow him at Chelsea Youth on the socials. Uh, so that's a wrap for us. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.